This is episode 293 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are Nine Street Survival Skills for the Concrete Jungle and How to Create a Simple No-Till Garden with Little Weeding Forever. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 293. I'd like to welcome you if you are a new listener and this might be your first podcast episode of the Prepper Website Podcast. If you are not subscribed, uh, hopefully you will do that in iTunes, Stitcher, or any other podcast network and that way you'll never miss another episode of the Prepper Website Podcast. Hey, I hope you had a great weekend and I hope you're ready to start another week. Uh, I am very excited. I had a great uh, weekend. I, I've been working on this project, guys. I've been kind of dropping little hints here and there, and I am ready to release it this week. And so, hopefully, on uh, episode 295, uh, I will, I will not hopefully, definitely, I will be sharing that. So, on the Wednesday podcast, and two days from now, on episode 295, I was kind of hoping that I could wait till episode 300, but. Uh, you know, it's just like that's another week and it's ready to go. And uh, I'm just I'm very excited to share it with you. So actually, episode 295 is going to be a completely different episode. It's going to be a special episode uh, that uh, one one like I've never done before. So uh, I'm looking forward to that very, very much. Now, uh, this like I said, this weekend was great. I was able to put some finishing touches on this project. But, uh, you know, there were some things that happened uh, definitely in the in the news. So Friday we uh, went to go visit a friend who's in the hospital. His name's Bruce. I know there's a lot of Christians out there who pray, and and if you would keep him, uh, Bruce and his family in your prayers, I would greatly appreciate it. So as we were leaving the hospital and we were waiting for uh, the vehicle for my truck, I uh, popped on Twitter because uh, the truck seemed to be taking too long to get there, and uh, just to see what was what was going on. And remember, guys, I use Twitter as a way to keep up on the news and stuff like that. And uh, immediately, immediately, I saw that uh, you know uh, Syria was getting bombed. And of course, that's not something you know we we were hearing a lot of the rhetoric leading up to it. There was uh, you know back and forth between what uh, America was saying, what Russia was saying, uh, and uh, it really it, it's kind of a scary thing. And there's a lot of people that are pro. Uh, you know, pro uh, Trump and pro America as far as yeah, bombing uh, Syria. And there's a lot of people though that were saying there's no reason why we need to be going into Syria. There's no reason why we need to be doing that. Um, there's a lot of misinformation. And uh, you know, my thing is, and I've said it here before, when things start heating up over there, my my ears, my not just my the news, but my spiritual ears kind of kick up. Because that's very that's important. That's an important part of the world, in in at least to, to Bible prophecy and to the biblical aspect of things. So I talked a little bit about that this Sunday at church um, when we when we start talking about Syria and you know Damascus and and those types of things. Um, you know I think we really need to be paying attention. Isaiah chapter seventeen says that Damascus will be a ruinous. You know the prophecy concerning Damascus. Uh, Damascus will be a ruinous heap. In in history, Damascus has never become a ruinous heap. 
uh, ever before. And so that's one of the things that people kind of like, you know, prophecy teachers watch out for. So I haven't listened to all the prophecy uh messages that are out there, YouTube videos and stuff like that, normally that I put on the Weekly Watchman. Uh, I did listen to a video on, by Amir Sarfati who was discussing it. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to that. I know I listened to a little bit of John Haller, and I know that he was already uh, discussing Syria, getting into that. And so, you know, it is a time to, to think about what's going on. And even John Haller, of all people, said, uh, you know, you need to get prepared. And he was talking, he wasn't talking about spiritual preparedness. He was talking about preparedness, like the kind of preparedness that we believe in. And uh, I thought that was kind of funny. I was going to send him, uh, I was going to send him a, a message on Facebook and say, Hey man, hope you're, hope you're reading Prepper website. Hope you're listening to the Prepper website podcast. Um, but you know, that, that's a conversation that we've, uh, briefly touched on before about being prepared because, uh, who knows what is in store. It's just, it's just prudent. And so a lot of Christians uh, have the view. Uh, I know uh, when I talked with uh, my friend Mark Goodwin over at Prepper Recon, uh, you know, one of the sayings that you hear all the time is, you know, hope for a pre-tribulation rapture, uh, but prepare for a mid-tribulation rapture or uh, a rapture that happens during the tribulation. And so that would be the greatest thing that would happen, you know, and I know some of you who are not Christians, you're just uh, you bear with me, guys. But uh, we believe that at one point there will be a time where Jesus will return and take the church and take Christians, uh, you know, out of the earth before um, or, or before the tribulation. A lot of people believe that. Other people believe that that's not going to happen before the tribulation. It's going to happen during the tribulation, and we're going to experience some pain and hardship. And so that is a big thing in in the Christian community. And I, I like that uh, that saying that says. You know, uh, hope for a pre-tribulation rapture, but prepare for mid-tribulation rapture. When you look at the Bible, many times God's people did go through tribulation. They did go through uh, times of, of trial. And so there's no reason why um, the Christian church would not uh, go, go through that. You know, in, in history, they have as well. So anyway, that's a couple of, you know, my two cents there as, as we go on. But I think we need to watch what's going on over there. The war, the the uh, the war of words between Russia and America is uh, is just heating up. It seems like I posted an article on Prepper website uh, by Martin Armstrong about the the war. We're like we need war. I mean, the the industrial military complex needs war to be able to uh, you know use their toys. I, I believe that was the the term that he said. Uh, use their toys and to be able to. Uh, make it worthy of uh, of them to be around because if we don't have a, a standing military, if we don't have all these things, if they're not not being used, then what's the purpose of uh, them being in business, right? And so you know this has to happen every once in a while so that um, you know everyone says, yeah, we need a military, yeah, we need this big firepower, we need all of this. I'm not saying that we don't need to defend ourselves as a nation. I just don't like the fact that, you know, uh, a lot of the times the wars that they tell the American people, they tell uh, the public one thing, but the reason behind it is a whole nother thing. And so, uh, you know, definitely we need to keep our leaders uh, in, in our prayers uh, that they make good decisions and not decisions that are uh, going to help, uh, you know, the, the big p- uh, power broker players that, you know, that they don't care about our 
uh, you know, who they send to war and, you know, the 19 and 20 year olds who send, who they send to war, just as long as it's, it's not their own kids, right? They're just, they worry about, uh, power and profits and all of those kinds of things. So man, I, uh, said a lot there, but, uh, I, I think we, we do need to keep, stay aware, not only of our local situation, but also the global situation as well, as well. Hey, I want to, uh, before I get into the articles, I do want to just give a shout out to SD Prepper. Man, uh, left a, a review on iTunes for me, and I just greatly appreciate it. It was a five-star review, and uh, it was the words, right? So uh, if you just bear with me, let me share with you what he said, because I wanted to kind of point one thing out here uh, that he mentions, or at least that, that he talks about himself here. Uh, he says, this is the, mo- the most informative and enjoyable preparedness podcast available. I've been listening now for five months daily, and I consider myself an experienced prepper for my age. I find new ideas, information, and relevant advice with every podcast by the article shared and Todd's personal insights. My wife and I enjoy listening together while we grow, practice, and expand our preparedness. We appreciate and value uh, the Christian point of view shared view shared brings and how it relates directly to our preparedness. I'm 28 years old, a 28-year-old veteran. Uh, thanks for, for serving, my friend. And uh, have a young, new family with small children. I live in Southern California. With which possesses which poses certain challenges to our long term preparedness, we have learned many new ideas by listening to the podcast and applied this knowledge directly to our preparedness as it relates to our goals and geographic location. I strongly urge all reading this to prioritize your preparedness. This podcast will help guide you to accomplish your preparedness goals. Thank you, Todd, for your genuine interest and care in helping people understand the importance of self reliance and being responsible for their own lives. You help show your listeners the direct connection to our Christian faith and our responsibility to provide for ourselves, family, and all others in our community we can help. God bless America, our military, police, and all first responders. Stay safe, all. Well, SD Prepper, thanks so much, you and your wife, for, for listening and uh, you know leaving this review again. The thing I wanted to point out is uh, you know, SD said he was, uh, a 20, he was 28 years old. And uh, all the demographic research that I have done uh, on Prepper website throughout the years, uh, he's on the very, you know, I guess I can refer to you, SD. Uh, you are on the very, uh, you're rare is what I'm trying to say. You're on the very low end of those that prepare. Most people that are in preparedness are, uh, the majority start somewhere in their, like their mid forties and into their sixties. And so that's the majority of people who prepare uh, in the demographics that I've uh, researched that I've done and on various different times uh, through Prepper websites, uh, through the time that I've been working with Prepper website and doing Prepper website. And uh, so, again, when I saw that 28 years old, I thought for a minute there was, was 28 years of service. I'm like, 28 years old? Wow, you're very rare, right? And it's even more rare to find someone who's in their uh, in, in their really early you know 20s, like 20, 21. That's super, super rare. Uh, usually when that happens, that's you know, somebody who has grown up uh, with, a, with parents who were self-reliant, preparedness-minded, all that kind of stuff. But anyway, uh, thanks so much for the review. Again, SDU and your wife who are listening, and uh, I'm very grateful that, uh, that you left this review, and the words mean a whole lot to me. Uh, and so uh, thanks again for your listenership. All right, guys, let's go ahead and go into our first article. It comes to us from UrbanSurvivalSite.com, and the title of the article is Nine Street Survival Skills for the Concrete Jungle. And, uh, you know, this is one of those articles that uh, gives you a little bit of a, of a taste of preparedness. 
maybe it gives you some ideas. There are definitely links here that uh, that they link to that you can go to uh, from from this article. And like always, I will link to it in the show notes. But also, it might be something that leads you to do more research out there, you know, in on the internet. And so uh, you have a couple of options. You you can always go to Google and you can just type in Google, and it's gonna Google is gonna give you whatever Google wants to give you, just like Facebook. And Twitter, they're going to serve you up whatever they think you should see. Now, if you want something that you know that has been posted on Prepper website or you know that it's been vetted by by Prepper website, you can go over to the main page, PrepperWebsite.com, and you can go to the right-hand corner. There is a little drop-down menu, and if you will go to Research Prepper Topics, you will it will open up a page of the tag cloud. And then you can click into that tag cloud, whatever topic uh, you're looking for, whatever keyword you're looking for, and it will bring up all the articles throughout the years that have been posted on Prepper website. And you know that those are preparedness related articles. You're not getting junk from Google or whatever. And so, uh, you know, just wanted to kind of point that out to you because if you hear something that piques your interest, you can, uh, you definitely should go do a little bit more research. So let's go ahead and jump in. Nine Street Survival Skills for the Concrete Jungle. Again, coming to us from UrbanSurvivalSite.com. Major cities may still only take up a small portion of the landmass in the United States, but they are nevertheless home to over 80% of the population. With this being the case, the odds of being caught in the concrete jungle when disaster strikes are quite high. Of course, the survival skills necessary to navigate a city during a disaster whether it's a major disaster such as a foreign attack or a personal disaster such as a robbery are quite different from the skills many preppers may be accustomed to. If you would like to ensure that you can take whatever the concrete jungle has to throw at you, here are nine skills you need to have. Number one is lock picking. The trademark of big cities is lots of buildings and lots of buildings means lots of locks. In normal circumstances, these locks may be an afterthought. However, in a disaster scenario, being able to get past them could mean the difference between life and death. Brush up on your lockpicking skills and invest in a good portable lockpicking kit. In the right situation, these things could prove incredibly valuable. To learn more, check out these three ways to open locked doors. So again, like I said, there's going to be links throughout uh, this article. And definitely lockpicking is one that we have linked to on Prepper website as well. Number two is blending in. How do you hide in a place where there are thousands, if not millions of eyes everywhere you turn? The answer is that you hide in plain sight. The art of blending in is one that is really underappreciated. However, in an urban area, it is often the best way to ensure you are not the target of whatever catastrophe is taking place. Martial law officials, foreign invaders, desperate scavengers, and more are all more likely to target someone who catches their attention for any reason at all. In these scenarios, it is best to be just another indistinguishable face in the crowd. Here are some gray man tips to help you blend in during a crisis. Number three is self-defense. If you don't intend to carry a weapon on you during your visit to the city, it's a great idea to have a few self-defense skills that you can rely on. Of course, in the vein of blending in, physical confrontation should be avoided if at all possible. If you do have to defend yourself, though, for whatever reason, you need to make sure that you have what it takes to come out on top. Number four, scavenging. 
One great thing about urban areas is that there is no shortage of materials and supplies available. If you know what to look and where to look and you have an eye for making use of the unordinary. Scavenging is more of a mindset than it is a skill that is taught. You just need to keep your eyes open and develop a bit of creative talent for repurposing what you find into something useful. Here are some places to scavenge for supplies after the SHTF. You know, uh, I don't know if you if you ever do this, but do you ever look at a junk pile? Maybe you know people are putting out uh, junk, uh, you know, for the trash or you know heavy trash day or or whatever it might be. Or you, uh, you you go to somebody's garage, you know, that just has a bunch of junk and they're like, yeah, I got to get rid of all this stuff. I mean, do you look at it? Do you ever look at it and it's like, wow, you could do, you, you can use this for this or you can repurpose this for that. Or, you know, there there's ways to do that. I mean, there, it's kind of dangerous because you can easily become a hoarder because you never throw anything away, right? Or you start picking up things like I can, I can use this later on or, you know, I might use this for a project. So you, you got to be really careful. But I do think that that is a skill to have is being able to look at something and, and, and being able to repurpose it and reuse it. Um, you know, we, we live in a society where it's so easy to throw things away, but there definitely could be a time in our near future when we, you know, things we need to repurpose things and we need to fix things. And, and, and you know, you look at other uh, countries where they do some incredible things with things that they have scavenged and, and things that they, they pull uh, pull together. So I uh, just thought I'd throw that in there. That was kind of coming up there. Number five is situational awareness. When you're surrounded by people, there's often a lot to take in and process. This is especially true in hectic situations such as after a disaster. With that said, developing an acute situational awareness and the ability to quickly take in everything going on around you is one of the best ways to ensure your survival in an urban area. This starts with really turning or tuning in your focus to your surroundings and trusting your instincts above all else. In many cases, this type of situational awareness can help you escape dangerous situations before they ever develop. Here are a few ways to enhance your situational awareness. Guys, I know we have talked about this here recently. It just seems like, uh, I just feel like this is an important topic. Uh, we live in a world that's very, very distracted. We're on our phones where, you, you know, we have, I mean, you just go to a grocery store or you just drive down the street and you see people with headphones on all the time, not paying attention. Actually, when, uh, you know, my wife remarked on uh, a, a young lady, we were downtown at the medical center visiting my friend on Friday and uh, there was people, I guess they were going home from work and this, uh, I don't know if she was a nurse or, or whatever she had, you know, she had, she was dressed in, in, uh, you know, the, the nursing uniform, right? Uh, but she had headphones on. She, she was crossing the street with other people. She had headphones on. Uh, she was looking at her phone and, you know, texting or whatever. And so, you know, looking and paying attention while other people were crossing the street, but you know who knows how far she was walking, and this is a young lady, and it's just like, come on, you need to be a little bit smarter than that. You need to be ready, you know, if if something was to go down, someone tried to hurt you or come up on you, or you know, you might want to have that mace in your hands if it's something like, you know, you work at a hospital and they don't allow you to carry a gun, you have that mace already in your hand, ready to be deployed. If someone comes up on you, you know, and you have your head on a swivel and you're paying attention, 
And so I just think that that is something that we really need to be thinking about uh, more so nowadays. All right, number six is navigation. Too many people are completely reliant on their GPS when it comes to navigating an urban area. However, if those GPSs ever stop working, there are going to be a lot of people who are lost and in trouble. To avoid being one of them, take the time to learn the area you are visiting and get comfortable with the idea of navigating it without any technical technological aid. Buy a map that you can bring with you and memorize a few escape routes just in case you lose it. If things go south, these navigation skills could be the difference between getting out quickly and getting caught wandering around a maze of concrete and steel. You know, uh, living in the suburbs, definitely um, there are so many routes out, you know, that you can take so many back roads and all those kinds of things. But you know, when we're talking about the concrete jungle, those of you who live in big cities, uh, that's something that you really need to uh, to consider. You know, I, I know that we have listeners in, in really big cities that you live, you know, uh, you know, in the city itself, not in the suburbs. And uh, you've got to think about ways that you would get out of the city if things got crazy. Because the next one is number seven is escaping a riot. The middle of a major riot in an urban area is not a place you want to be under any circumstance. Just think back to the LA riots for an example of how dangerous these riots can become and how quickly they can spiral out of control. Of course, escaping a riot isn't nearly as simple as walking away. If it were, there would be far fewer innocent bystanders who died in the chaos. Before you visit a major city, take the time to research the best way to escape a riot in case you are caught up in one. There's a lot of great information out there about this designed to help you get out of the middle of a riot as quickly as possible. Here's what to do if you're caught in a riot while driving. And that, that would be my concern, right? I, there's things that have gone on in Houston, and I'm like, there's no way that I'm going downtown to Houston during that stuff. I mean, it's just... I, I I like staying in my part of my part of Houston, and uh, I hate it when I have to travel down on the freeways. And so, anyone who's listening in Houston knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but you know, there's there's times where things could get out of control, and you're driving, and maybe it uh, just uh, happens spontaneously. You know, a protest or whatever, and uh, you know you're caught right in the middle of it while you're driving, having to get away from there. And so, there's some things that. Uh, you need to really consider, and what would you be, uh, what would you be, what would you be capable of doing, and what would you be okay with doing in in a situation like that if you were caught right in the middle of that. Number eight is communication skills. Urban areas mean lots of people, and knowing how to deal with people when necessary is an important survival skill. If you can develop a knack for communicating with people, talking them down from violent situations, and reading their intentions based on what they do and say, you'll have a much easier time navigating the often complex and sometimes dangerous human interactions that take place after a disaster has struck. And number nine is driving. If you think driving through a big city under normal circumstances is a nightmare, imagine what it would be like to drive through one during or immediately after a major disaster. Of course, many times driving anywhere in these scenarios won't be a possibility. In a situation where everyone is trying to get out, traffic jams can quickly shut the entire road system in, a, in the city down. However, if you get out early enough or if there's been time for the dust to settle, you may be able to effectively escape the city via your vehicle, assuming, of course, that you have the driving skills necessary to navigate a major city during heavy traffic congestion and highly stressful situations. 
It's certainly no easy feat, but like anything else, it can be learned. By the way, make sure you have a good vehicle. Alright guys, so there you go. Dine Street survival skills for the concrete jungle. Definitely things that you should consider if you are in, uh, in you know, living in the city. Um, a, a lot of things here. And even if you are not living in the city, these are still things to, uh, to know uh, if you're making trips into the city. So a good article here to kind of maybe uh, kick it off some, some other research and things that kind of pique your interest over at urbansurvivalsite.com. And remember, like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. Our next article comes to us from oldworldgardenfarms.com. And uh, I always have trouble saying that one, (laughs) oldworldgardenfarms.com. The article is entitled, How to Create a Simple No-Till Garden with Little Weeding Forever. And uh, when it comes to gardening, I know that there's a lot of people there. Well, those of you who are up north, man, I got to, you are being blasted and it sucks. I know we have had... Uh, unusual colder temperatures down here in in Houston, uh, and and when I say that, I'm talking about like you know the the mid 40s, and, and but it's just that's just way colder when we're here in the middle of April. Uh, I know some of you up north would say, Todd, I trade that you know in a heartbeat uh, because y'all are you know getting blizzards and stuff like that, uh, and uh, I I know that those of you up north are like, hey, what what the heck? I mean, when are we going to be able to start? Uh, putting, you know, we get past the, uh, uh, the, the frost and we get past the, the freezing temperatures so that we can go ahead and put something into the ground so that, you know, we have a, a short growing season already. And here it's going to be even shorter because of this crazy weather that, that is being experienced. So with all that said, I know that there's still new people who are listening to the podcast. Uh, you might not be up in the north. You might be a little further south where you can start gardening and you're new to preparedness and you're, you know, you're like, hey, this is something that I want to try. The no-till garden is a way to, uh, to, really, to really go because a lot of the times when you read about people tilling, um, they, they, they will till, till their, their soil every year. And uh, it's really for the growth of your soil, it's really not the best. And the reason that that works is because you are uh, you're turning up the microorganisms and that's helping to fertilize your plants but really you're just you're breaking down the structure of your soil and uh, the people that till are always having to add amendments to it and things like that i'm not saying you don't have to fertilize and add amendments to it if you don't uh, if you do the no-till but it's just a, a different way of doing it a philosophy that pays off uh, I believe a little bit later on from everything that I've read and the research uh, pays off as, as you go. So uh, I have raised beds, but I don't, you know, get in there and till, uh, you know, those types of, you know, that, that way either. I don't try to turn up the soil and, and all of that. I try to leave it, the soil structure, the way it is, and then you know, just kind of build on top of that and layer on top of that from year to year. So let's go ahead and read this one because I think this is very interesting. And if you are, um, you know, a lot of you probably already have stuff in the ground if you can. Uh, those of you who can't, uh, you might be working on it. And then there's still some of you who can't even do it yet. But this is still good information and uh, definitely something if you are not gardening this way, maybe you file this in the back of your mind and maybe you go and bookmark this one and then you try this one next time. So let's go ahead and read this. How to create a simple no-till garden with little weeding forever. 
When it comes to working less, weeding less, and having more fun growing vegetables, a simple no-till garden is the answer. Simply put, there is never a need to till your garden. In fact, tilling your soil every garden season can create more work for you while harming the soil. We created our first raised row, simple no-till garden, eight years ago and have never looked back. The benefits are simply amazing. One, little weeding, actually tremendously less weeding. As each year has progressed, we now spend almost zero time in the garden ever having to weed. Number two, better soil and better harvest. Using raised rows, cover crops, and compost, our garden soil continues to improve each year. That means bigger and better harvest for little work and at little expense. Less watering. The raised row setup keeps plants protected and insulated. That means less watering and better root structure development below the surface. And for never waiting to plant. In a more traditional garden where a tiller is used, it can take weeks or a full month to let soil dry out in the spring and allow for planting. With a simple no-till garden of raised rows, planting can be done right after the harvest or the hardest of rains. Below are the five simple steps to setting up and maintaining a simple no-till garden. You can also check out our new top-selling book, Raised Row Gardening, which covers every aspect of simple gardening in depth. It is now available in bookstores and on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Alright, so creating a simple no-till garden. Number one, create your raised rows. If starting from a grassy, never-before-gardened area, mow the area as close to the ground as possible. This is the one and only time you could use a rototiller to break up the soil, but it is certainly not necessary. We built our first rows right on top of the ground and never used a tiller at all. We create our raised rows 18 inches wide by 20 feet long, with 24 inches to 30 inches between rows left open between as a walking space to maintain the rows. To create our first rows, we laid down a combination of straw and compost about four to six inches high, then added two to four inches of topsoil on top. It all compresses to about six inches in height in the middle of the 18-inch rows. We then taper the soil to each edge. So then there's a a link here. See how to create raised rows from scratch if you're interested in this one. Number two is mulch your walking zones. For walking rows, we use a thick layer of inexpensive organic materials to block weeds permanently. This eliminates a large portion of the garden from, from ever having to be maintained. We use a hardwood bark chip for our rows, but you could use straw, leaves, or whatever is available locally and inexpensively to provide extra weed control the first year. You can put down cardboard or newspaper to help snuff out any existing weeds. All right, so I got I got something for you here. <laughs> um, I do have a little section where, and well, I found this out uh, one year. Uh, so we have palm trees, and really, you know, every, you have to trim them. So every every spring, you trim them down, and, and you uh, you cut back the stuff that that's uh, you know that got burnt during the winter time or is dead, and and you you peel it all back. But sometimes they just really grow and it just really looks nasty. So you, you want it trimmed up and you want to look, make it look nice. The problem is there's not a lot of uses for it. As, as you know, if you're in the suburbs here, I'm sure there's a lot of things you can do with it. And the, you know, when you're out in the country or whatever, but you know, I'm in the suburbs. The thing is, is that the stuff doesn't break down very easily. So like the palm, the fan, the fans of the palm trees, 
don't really break down. And so one year I was just, uh, I got lazy and I put them by the compost pile and I just laid down a, a few layers of them and uh, realized, I mean, they weren't breaking down. And I was like, okay, maybe by the end of the season, you know, they didn't break down. They didn't break down. And finally I, I went and I, I uh, lifted them up. I think it was, it was almost a full year. And I, I realized that, the, man, it they didn't break down at all. I mean, they were starting to get crunchy, right? And they were starting to, you know, you could uh, crumble them up, I guess, if you wanted to. But they pretty much stayed pretty solid. And the, the, the earth underneath it, it killed off the grass that was underneath it, which I really didn't care. It was over by the compost pile. And um, it killed off uh, all the grass. And the dirt just looked really dark and rich. And so I'm like, wow, you know, that's uh, one of the things that I can do um, is use this to kill off grass. And so where people are talking about or, or kill, you know, weeds, make sure, you know, we use them for to, to weed. So when people talk about uh, making sure that, uh, you know, they, they put down newspaper and they put down cardboard and those types of things in the little walkway that I have between two of my garden beds, I put some of these things down and they work like a charm. And so I just cut them down to the shape of, you know, uh, fit them in that little walkway. And I probably, I don't have as much as 18 inches. It's more like 12 inches about, well, I don't know, maybe it is 18 inches. And um, so I put them down and it, it worked, man. And so that is one thing. If you have palm palm trees and, uh, I mean, mine aren't very big, uh, but you you want to somehow use those those leaves or the fans of the palm tree, definitely you can use them in this way. Uh, and, uh, I was just, you know, something that I always, uh, noticed that I could do. And so, but definitely, you know, the wood chips and all that kind of stuff. And if you go to the, the pictures, he's got some really great looking garden beds. If you, if you go to the, uh, if you go to the, the article and you, you check out the pictures that he's posted up here. All right. Continuing on. Cause number three is plant and mulch your growing rows. Planting is a snap. For transplant crops like tomatoes, peppers, cabbages, and more, we use a post hole digger to plant in minutes. We dig the hole with one drop of the blade and plant. For seed crops, we create furrows with a hoe or pick and plant. We then cover the the growing rows with mulch of straw, compost, shredded leaves, or grass clippings. The key is to keep soil covered so weeds can't take over. Each year, soil becomes disturbed less and the weeding chores drop as well. The weeding part, that's a big deal, man. And so if you can, you know, you make your garden beds uh, to a point where you, you can be weed free, you don't have to spend the time weeding in there, that's a big deal. And again, they have uh, these great pictures in there. Number four is plant a fall cover crop. Each fall, we plant only the growing rows with a thick cover crop of annual winter rye. It quickly fills the rows with a lush, protective dark green carpet of grass. A cover crop recharges your garden soil as it grows and then breaks down the following spring. It helps to fix nitrogen in the soil while replenishing valuable nutrients and minerals. That thick growth in late fall and early spring also helps protect bare soil from weed seeds blowing in. That eliminates a large portion of any weeds that ever or that can ever grow in the garden. If that wasn't enough, the roots of the annual rye below the surface help to break up and loosen the soil. Number five, mow off and plant again. Here is the best part of all. You will never need to use a tiller again. 
The next spring and each year thereafter, all you need to do is mow off the annual rye a few times until it dies off. There is never a need to disturb the soil below or replant hundreds of thousands of weed seeds by tilling, and clippings can be left in the growing rows to decompose or added to your compost pile to fuel it as well. By the time you are ready to plant, the annual rye has died off. You can then easily use a post hole digger to easily create planting holes. The soil below gets better every season and planting chores are finished in minutes, not hours. To complete the process full circle, we mulch the growing rows again after planting. It it once again protects rows from weeds. Come fall, we pull out the plants, pull back the mulch, rake, and seed. The previous year's rye has completely decomposed and planting takes minutes per row. The entire no-till garden cycle is simply a beautiful thing. Here's the simple no-till raised row gardening, Jim and Mary. All right, good article over there, and I hope you consider uh, doing a no-till garden. Uh, just a you know easy way of doing it, and maybe even uh, it might be worth it looking into their uh, to their book and uh, purchasing that. Um, you know, it's always good to have you know gardening books are always good, especially really good ones where it's been proven and uh, they you know they live on their homestead here and uh, they've been doing it for a while over at oldworldgardenfarms.com. All right, guys, that is it for episode two hundred and ninety three. All right, starting off another week, guys. Again, don't forget to, to listen to episode two hundred and ninety five. It's going to be released in two short days. I'm very excited about uh, the possibilities of uh, of what I'm going to be talking about, and so uh, just you know, kind of been thinking about that podcast and uh, all that that would imply, uh, because I, I do think that it is something that uh, that is, is very needed in the preparedness community. So um, I will be looking forward to that, and hopefully you will be looking forward to listening as well. So guys, with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.